Don those comfy caps and tie up those aprons. You're listening to Polygonometry. This is a sit-down podcast talk thing where a family member comes and we have a conversation about what it's like growing up in polygamy. There's a lot of people in my family and all of them are on the show and stuff. So I'm stoked you guys are listening. Honestly, it's great. And I know we didn't have an episode this last week because, you know, Easter and all that stuff. And I was like, you know what? Spend time with your families. You know, search for those Easter eggs, eat some candy, eat some Easter bunny poop or whatever it is you do, okay? Blow some bubbles. I blew bubbles basically every single Easter. That was like our big thing was bubbles. And have you ever, here's a question, have you ever blown bubbles and then been mad? It's not possible. You can't do it. Uh, it's part of the reason why my mom and dad always did that for us probably because um, they woke us up early and put on like yellow stuff. Why were, why, why does everybody wear yellow? on Easter. Is that like the Easter color? Like red and green is, is Christmas and then purple and orange is Halloween and then yellow, like pastel yellow. I don't understand it. Anyway, uh, I'm stoked you guys are listening, obviously. And if you guys have any questions about like things that are talked about on the podcast or whatever, just drop me a line. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I also have an email and any and all questions, send them in. Sounds great. But this week is just a continuation of the stuff that I have with my grandpa. And last episode that he was on, he talked about how he basically like brought some dudes in with like this night vision scope. And the story that he tells at the beginning of this episode is one of my most favorite stories ever. And you'll see why. But uh, this episode goes from his Border Patrol experience all the way until he gets baptized into the AUB and how everything went down with that stuff. So it's going to be a great episode. I'm glad you guys are paying attention and listening. And I don't even know if you guys are paying attention. Maybe you guys are just like listening to this when you're doing the dishes or something or like vacuuming, right? But you don't have your headphones in. It's just like on your phone in the living room or like two rooms away while you're vacuuming. And if that's the case, dude, it helps my analytics. So I hope you guys enjoy this next episode that I have with my mom's dad. So you you had the the incident with the night vision scope. Yeah. The, okay. yeah. The, and then you uh, helped pick some tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. You, and we finished off last time with the poem. Yes. And I'm sorry if I... That, that poem makes me a little emotional because that was... Uh, it sounds like it was a very powerful moment for you. It was a powerful moment for me because it just it just was the reality of of what's out there, and uh, and it angers me that uh, politicians and people I like to gobble up what politicians do decide to decide to try to make something something out of that and make us border patrolmen look like we're bad people and we're not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, there's nuance. What does nuance mean? Uh, there's, there, it's not so black and white. Oh, there's, yeah, there's a gray yeah. area to, yep. to every situation. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, everything's got two, two sides of the coin there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> you were wanting to know this was th- here's an incident that yeah, yes, it, it scared me. But anyway, yeah. this happens and this kind of relates to family. Okay. 
at the time, I didn't realize that in the future, because Brady was, this involves Brady, because okay. it turns out to be Brady's summer home for his family that some kind of a deal he had with some type of a co-op or something, and uh, there was this house that he that he was able to use for a vacation for a week or so for his family. Yeah, I, I've been there, yeah. You've been to that house? Yep. Okay, yep. so yep, I'm going to give you a story of that house. And uh, this was in 1974, I believe 1974, that this incident took place. Okay, so my mom at that time was about two years old. She was about two years old, okay. yes. Yeah, she was the apple of your grandpa's eye. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, she could do nothing wrong. And she, <laughs> about that time, your yeah. mom was uh, starting to rule the family. <laughs> at, yeah. two, at two years oh, old. Oh, at two years old, she, <laughs> she had the dog in control and everything else. Yeah, as, as my mom does. Yeah, she, she was, she was uh, getting everything in order. Anyway, <clears throat> and it was a summer, so I think she was a little over two, two and a half. So anyway, <clears throat> we're, we're on patrol down in the sloughs. They call it the sloughs. It's down, uh, it's down near the mouth of the Tijuana River. Mm-hmm. And uh, to give you some geographics here, you have uh, the southwest corner of the United States, which was uh, a beach area, and it was a park area, international park or something. And on the Mexican side was a bull, a bullfighting ring, and everything that they added back there in 1974. And just up from that was the uh, where apartments had come down this strip of beach area. So it's like a, a basically a long line of condos and condos beach houses and, and apartments houses and, 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 and all that and stuff. A, yeah. And the very end one was Boca Rio. Okay. Mouth of the mouth of the river, Boca Rio. Boca Rio apartments and condos and stuff. And we were in that area, in the slough area, and uh, we knew we had some traffic going on. It was getting kind of confusing because they had uh, split up. And I noticed the, where a sea bag, I could see where a sea bag in the, in the soft ground had sat. And so I knew we had marijuana. A sea bag was basically what exactly? Like, well, how would you describe a sea bag? A sea bag. Like you have a regular sea bag sailors carry, you know, the sea bag to put your stuff in. Okay, gotcha. And uh, they would use that to carry their mota mm. across, a mota, uh, marijuana. Yeah. And for reference, the, the Mexican border is about a mile away, right? Oh. Give or take. <clears throat> like the actual geographic border to that specific beach house, at least from yeah, what I remember was, from being it there. Was, it was about a mile away, and it was just beach and sloughs, and then you go yep. down about the half mile down would be the mouth of the, of the, the Tijuana, Tijuana River. Gotcha. River. Okay. And that's why the apartments were called Boca Ria, mm-hmm. Boca Rio. Anyway, and, and so we saw this, my partner and I, and we saw the indentation of where the, the weight, and we knew that it was a loaded bag. Sea bag. Sea bag full of marijuana. And there's one, then we could see to where there's two. And I says, okay, we got two mules here, and they're hauling marijuana across. And where's So my partner, he's out looking for the drop car. Mm-hmm. And I'm chasing down one of the... One of the guys. One of the guys of the sea bag. And I chase him down. <clears throat> and I chase him up the beach, and he... He's headed up the beach, of course. I'm on my walkie-talkie, and I'm calling. I'm kind of trying to get somebody into the front to cut him off and everything. And so he dashes right into the surf. So he's in the water. So now he goes in the water, and he wades out into the surf. How deep does he go? Oh, he's down. I'd say he's close to chest high. He's up So above. he's out there. Yeah, and, he's and out there. And the waves are coming in. Yeah, That's... he's having to kind of, I remember he's kind of jumping up. 
Yeah, you have to get. I mean, and I'm telling him to come in, and he he comes in enough to where he could get his feet stabilized. He doesn't want to go out there and start swimming in the surf. He's fully dressed. Does he have you know? the sea bag with him? No, no, okay. no. We we had gotten con- my partner had confiscated the the sea bags and okay. he's trying to figure out. So we've got that secure, and we're getting some trying to get some backup in. Yeah, maybe we trying to get the Imperial Beach City Police to cooperate. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're busy. This is. Two o'clock in the morning. Okay. I remember looking way up the beach, and I could see a couple of lovers up there, you know, kind of kissing on the beach and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. Like okay. you would see, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's California. So, it's California. It's And uh, he's out there, and he's coming in, and I'm telling him to come in. Yeah. And so we're going back and forth in Spanish, and he's really giving me a bad time. What, what is he saying to you at this, this time? Do you remember? Well, he's calling me a lot of, there's a lot of slang Spanish going on, which tells me that this guy's a citizen. A citizen? Uh, possibly possibly a citizen or something. A U.S. citizen? Possibly a U.S., yeah, I say citizen, I meant possibly a U.S. citizen, but he's a local. He's a local Mexican or whatever. Okay, okay. So I know I got a smuggling thing here, mm-hmm. and I know if he's a citizen, you might try to pass him off, pass himself off as an illegal or whatever. And all this is going through my mind, how I'm going to handle my situation I got here. Yeah. I got this guy out here. Now, yeah, there's no way he's going loose. Yeah. Not with me. Yeah. Okay. This, this guy is mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I throw, I think I threw, I think I threw a round in the air. I'm not sure. Kind of as an t- intimidation tactic. Yeah. And, you intimidate, know, let it, hey. You mean business? I mean business or something. Okay. I don't think I did with him. It wasn't uncommon for us border patrolmen to do that. Okay. Academy, they said never, n- never shoot your gun unless you're going to shoot at somebody. But I mean, you always want to quill the situation. And in other words, don't try anything. I got my gun out and I've already fired around. Mm-hmm. In other words, so just you calm down. I'll oh, calm down. Okay, you know, so kind of like a hey, everyone, shut up and let's figure this out. Yeah, and the only way yeah. that you can achieve that is by firing around and being. Well, like, what achieves it better than anything else is just the action of a shotgun, actually. Oh, oh, I'm oh, telling yeah. you something. That is the best. If you got your shotgun, and things are going crazy, you know, and then they hear that, they hear that. Man, everything stopped. I mean, that's better. That's better than a warning shot. That yeah. action of that shotgun is yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, they hear that, and they go, and the hands are up, and yeah, they yeah. don't. Okay, you know, there, there's a round in the chamber. Okay, it, it, all right. You know, we're we're in business here. <laughs> so and that, that just psychologically that that always worked. That works. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so he's out there in the surf. And so I weighed out to just above my knees, getting closer because I've got a plan. Okay, so what's, what's, what is your plan? I'm a, I'm a good shot, right? Yeah. Certified. And yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him hear a whistle, a bullet near his ear and tell him to come in because I'm telling him to come in. Yeah. Out, and, out of the water to come in and get apprehended, but cuff him, stuff him. Okay. I have absolutely no intentions on this guy getting loose. He's not getting loose. He's going to trial. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then he does something that he should never have done. He tells me, you don't want to arrest me, and I'm going to tell you why. Now, you have to understand about a month prior to that, Okay. Um, a Bajadori... These bajadores that smuggle, and this guy was a bajadori, mm-hmm. you know. 
and uh, that are being protected by the amnesty program in Los Angeles today, by the way, mm-hmm. Mr. Mayor. Anyway, <clears throat> get my point in there. Anyway, my plug. Anyway. <laughs> Your shameless plug. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Go for it. He, uh, what had happened is that these guys that we were arresting, these, these mules, yeah, this is the early stages of the cartel and everything, and the bajadores were running things. So the bajadores is basically the a, early a gang, stages of the cartel. A, it, yeah, it, well, in a sense, MS-13, you could mm-hmm. say more that gang. Sure, sure. They, that came up from El Salvador, and they joined in with them a lot. And okay. they were they were from Baja, California. Yeah, which is a province of Mexico, southern Mexico. You have yep. to get one, and then you have that long strip. That the long strip. Baja. Yeah, and it's a Baja. Mm-hmm. We call them bajadores. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And I knew he was a Bajadori mm-hmm. after the way he was acting. And these Bajadoris were breaking into Border Patrol agents' homes and attempting to rape their wives and, and children. Yeah, they really were. So these, so they, hold these on. So these were, guys, these guys would come in, they would mask or at least um, uh, be, be able to be in the U.S. And they would find, through their own means of intelligence, Border Patrol agents' addresses. Yeah, hey, I didn't get it from the news media. It was our enemy. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they would show up and it was... And break into the house. This one broke into the house and his 16-year-old daughter was home. He tried to, attempted to rape her. Wow. And uh, yeah, we caught him. And he was a bajadori. Okay. You know, so we were on high alert. Yeah. And I could tell you some stories about that. And so I, your mom had a little gun in the house and ready to use it. If anybody tried to come through the My grandmother, you mean? I mean, I'm saying that all the time. I it's mean, okay. It's okay. Yeah. I understand, but the, the people who don't understand, yeah. I yeah. need to make your sure. Grandma, your grandma, your yes, grandma. Yes, yes, I do yes. not have Alzheimer's yet. I, <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I aced my uh, solitary game this morning. Okay, there you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> he makes a mistake telling me that. You can't arrest me, and here's why. You don't want to arrest me because. I'm going to get out in six months, which tells me they knew the game. Yeah. You're going to get three years, you're going to do six months, yep. and you're going to get paroled. Yeah. And maybe you only do three months. Yeah. And he comes out and he says, I'm not going to do more than three to six months, and when I get out, I'm going to rape your wife, and if you've got a daughter, I'm going to rape her too. That's what he says to you. That's what he says to me. Wow. So. So, okay, so hold on. Before you go any further, I'm super curious about something. When he says that to you, and I don't know if you can remember this or not. He's telling me this in Spanish. Okay, so you're, t- you're exchanging this dialogue back and forth in Spanish. And when he says that to you, what do you feel? Like, what, do, what goes through your head when he says that to you? I'm going to rape your wife, and if you have a daughter, I'm going to wa- rape her too. What, what do you feel in that moment? I don't know what I could tell you that I feel. Or what was going through your head? What was that experience of witnessing this guy who's chest high in the water, you got him pinned, he's he, not going anywhere? He's a little above waist high in the water. Or now. chest high, okay. Because he was having to bounce, and he knew, that, he knew he was going to get washed out if he wasn't careful. Mm-hmm. And he came up a little bit, and I went in. So now we're, eye, we're eyeball to eyeball to each other. We can see each other. He's no farther from me to the, win- to the door there. So that's what, Okay, so uh, he's about 30 feet away. 30 feet away, if that, you know. And he's deeper in the water than you he's are. deeper than the water. Okay, so what, so what was that experience like when he said that to you? What was going through your head? Because <laughs> I can only assume that you are just like, oh, hell no. Yeah, it, <laughs> It was. It's personal then. Yeah, it got very personal. 
And all I, I just honed in on my training, and I honed in like, you are going down. Your goose is cooked. Your goose is cooked. I'm bringing you in. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to okay. do anything like okay. that. Okay. No, I'm not thinking that. What I'm thinking is, now I am more determined than anything to make sure that you get bu- yep. and put behind you, bars. And when, you go to, and when you go before the judge, I'm going to be there to say what you just said. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. And if anything, I'm going to get it on tape when we get in. I'm going to tape the interview with you and everything. You know, we're going to make a case on this one. Sure, okay, so he You're says that to out. you. But he said, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm thinking so much, uh, Christopher, I'm thinking so much of just, I'm focusing now in, I'm zeroing in, you're going down. And senses are down your senses now. are heightened. Yeah. You are so in. So you're dialed in. Okay, at gotcha. that time right. I've got my gun out. You know because I don't know what he has. Okay, but my gun's out like this. And you had already fired a shot, like we said. I'm not sure if I did or not at that point. Okay. I don't think I did. Okay, but your 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 weapon's out. My weapon's out, and I draw down on him. Okay. And I says, "I'm going to kill you, you." And I told him that, although I didn't mean it. Yes, OB, because, and you're not going to do my wife or anybody else's wife. And then I pointed between his eyes. So you had a bead? I had a bead on between his eyes. Okay. Hammer's cocked. Fingers on the trigger. Okay. I think we had, I'm not sure if we had a six, six pound pull or four pound pull. On the trigger? On, you mean? On, on the trigger, on our, on our issue weapon were you okay so before you go any further i don't mean to interrupt again but were you able to modify the trigger weight on your pistols no 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 okay no, no. those were standard no. issue standard issue but they might have modified it i know in the secret service we had them modified okay and i they they might have been modified i'm not sure i was very good with my pistol mm-hmm. you know we i spent a lot of time on the range sure um so i come down on him okay and i rested my sights right between his eyes and then i started moving to my right his left and I remember his eyeball came into my sights. And then I'm going over because I'm wanting to take it over. And I knew my gun. Yeah. Full moon. So it was I, bright. You could bright. see him. I could see him. You're 30 feet away. Him. Easy peasy. It's full moon. All right. I got lovers up the beach. Yeah. You know, the surface crashing. And it's, but beyond the surface, like glass, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice. And the surface isn't really that bad. It's but, calm. But if you're a coxswain in the Navy, which I was, about every seventh wave is a bigger wave. Okay. And I'm in up above my knees. Okay. And it's just kind of a low surf coming in. Yeah, yeah. And I get my, I get my. Uh, Your sights. My sights was just kind of on, on this part of his eye. So the corner of his eye, the crow's feet. Okay. The crow's feet of his eye. Okay. Coming, and I'm waiting till I get just past the ear, and then I'm going to drop the hammer on him. So you were going to basically whistle a bullet past his ear to intimidate him? Yeah. All right. Bring him in. That seventh wave <laughs> hit my huevos. <laughs> Bam! And you pull the trigger? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so my you gotta, gosh. <laughs> you, you, you had a, a cold ocean wave give your balls a bath yeah I'm <laughs> your and, wave uh, hit the huevos <laughs> and the hammer came down okay the hammer wasn't supposed to come down until i was past the year you know it had been a safe shot because i was good enough i was yeah. totally confident i was <clears throat> gonna pull this off i knew my gun yeah i knew my gun yeah 
Now, it was against all standards and everything else. There's no way I could write a report on this. Sure, but he's threatening to rape your wife he's and daughter. He's threatening to rape my wife and daughter, and I'm going to let him know this isn't going to happen. All righty. It is not going to happen. Okay. I'll put hell on your front porch, buddy. Yeah. And I'll track you down to... Kingdom come. Oaxaca, Mexico. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> the hammer falls. Bam! Oh, my God. And I'm shocked. He's dead. I, I know because I was just right there. I know I... It's a lethal shot. Because the I last know. thing that you knew was that your sights was on the well, crow's feet of his eye. Crow's feet of his eye, roughly, yes. Yeah, okay. It hit me. Evidently, when that wave hit me, it pulled me over, my side over. To hammer. More towards your right. To my right. All of a sudden, and everything clears because I'm shocked. Yeah. Next thing I know, I got this guy in front of me, and his arms are straight up in the air, and he's saying, No me matas, no me matas, no me matas. Don't kill me, don't kill me, please don't kill me. Papa boy, no me matas. Yeah. Whew, he's alive. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was like a Christmas present. <laughs> this pendejo is alive. All right. <laughs> this pendejo is alive, and not only is he alive, he's coming towards me. Yeah. 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 But... He's got blood streaming down his right, the left side of his face. The left side of his face. Yeah, covered now, in blood. It, yeah, it's bleeding. Yeah. It's bleeding. Yeah. And I thought, oh, shit, I hit him, but but he's alive. <laughs> okay, so he's not dead. Uh, That's good. What kind of a report am I going to, how am I going to get through the report now and everything else? Yeah. He comes in, get water up there, and, and by this time, my partner shows up. Yeah. My partner shows up. What'd you do? I said, what happened? Why didn't you just kill the son of a bitch and let the crabs eat him or something like that? I mean, okay. this is, you got to understand there's tough talk. Okay. Men do tough talk when they're in tough situations. Yeah. And it's a different time. Everything else too. Well, it's, I don't care if it's this time or, sure. you know, sure. it, tough talk is tough talk. Yeah. Uh, okay. Talk, t- if you have an uncle or something that's, that's been in battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the scene, the bullets are flying. Yeah. You know. It's an intense situation. You're in an intense situation. So I get him up to the beach and we... And he's bleeding. And I see that I just barely nicked his ear. You nicked the tip of his yeah, ear off. The top. Here, let me move the microphone. Okay. Right, right there. I just ticked it. Oh, the very... Right, 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 right about, right about middle, middle of the ear, right about here. And it just ticked it. Yeah. Just whoop. But enough to wear blood. Yeah. <laughs> and it bit bled pretty good by, by the time we got through. Well, now I'm totally relieved. Oh, whew. So I told my partner, I says, watch him for a minute. I says, this, this dance isn't over yet. Okay. So I took, put my back to him, and, and I emptied my gun to the sense to where it would fall on an empty chamber. And you're working with a three fifty seven Magnum. Yeah. It's a revolver. Superville ammo. Okay. So now you could look down, and, you, and if you looked into the revolver, you could see the shells. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you, you, but if you looked real close, you could see that the next round was an empty chamber. So you purposefully put your revolvers, um, sp- uh, yeah, the actual revolver it. of your revolver. I cocked, I cocked my revolver. Now instead of having six rounds, I got five rounds. Yeah, and I've got the hammer cocked onto an empty chamber. So if you were to pull the trigger, it wouldn't fire because there's no bullet. There's no bullet in the chamber. Okay, but you're looking at, you're looking at six, five more rounds that are sitting. Around it. Around it. So if you were to look, I mean. So if you're looking into it. Looking straight down the barrel, you would see the revolvers, you would see the bullets. Bullets in the. in Around it. In the wheel yes. part. Yes, I got gotcha. you. But what he didn't know that I did is I took out to where I had an empty chamber. Okay, gotcha. 
Got an empty chamber. Okay. And I ripped his head back, pinched his nose, and you know, and I shoved the gun into his mouth. You, oh, okay, so you put the barrel of your pistol in this guy's mouth. Yeah. And my partner's right there. Okay. My my partner knows what I'm doing. Okay. And I said, you pendejo. Okay. And a few other things. Okay. This is what's going to happen to you if you get near my wife or any child of mine. And I said, you say your prayers, deals, because I'm sending you there now. And you pull the trigger. Yeah. Holy shit. That would be such a scary situation to be in if you were him. Well, I didn't stop there. Then I said, damn, it misfired. Let me fix this. And my partner, no, 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 please don't, please don't, please don't. No, just I'm going to fix this and I ain't going to get you now. Yeah. You know, and it's like I was, you know, and it's like my partner was bad cop, good cop. And okay. Okay. And I said, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming down now. <laughs> Holy cow. So, uh, yeah, that was that story. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So what ended up happening? You just cuffed well, him, stuffed him, booked him? Yeah. Stuffed him, booked him, took him in. He gave some tale to him. I said, oh, no, that oh absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. Were you able to, to tell the judge during his trial that he said those things to you? That he was going to uh, That your... was, I didn't have to go to the trial. He, he fessed up to everything. It was on mm. my report. Mm. He, he fessed up to it. Okay. Because he was scared to, uh, he knew I would come after him. Yeah. Wow. There was no mistake. You don't want to mess with this guy. Jeez. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God. And that was right in front of Brady's condo that he would. I've been, I've been swimming there, in that spot. That. And you know that the big porch got out there? In yeah. Front yep. There yep. It was right there in front of that. Right in front of that house. Yeah. Right. Wow. Exactly in front of it. Yeah. I've been to that house. I've swam on that beach. I've I've been. I've probably swam with that piece of his ear. I think I never saw that Bahadori again. That did you have? Did you have like recurring kind of like frequent flyers, so to speak, flyers. in the bar? Frequent flyers meaning like people who you would see kind of like they would go in. You would you would book them. They'd get out on six months, and then you would see them again. Did you have any sort of relationship with like repeat offenders in the Border Patrol? I had I had this crazy seventeen year old that decided he was gonna charge me with a knife. I could have shot him, it was in front of the bus depot and I sidestepped him and threw him down on the pavement and then he tried to get me for using excessive force just to arrest him and I says, You idiot, I could have shot you, you're charging me with a knife. I kept yeah. a switchblade, your uncle Uncle Jared has a switchblade, I gave it to him. From that seventeen year old kid? Yeah, it was a seventeen year old kid. He turned out to be a juvenile. He let him uh. He come he come back, saw him later and he uh he was a U.S. citizen, but, okay. he, but he was—he wasn't—he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, smuggling drugs. He was smuggling uh, uh, maids through a hole in the fence, and he would tell the border patrol agents, "Here, I'll give you fifty dollars. Why don't you go buy a Coke, Coca-Cola, or something down at the store?" And then, when the border patrol would take the fifty-dollar bill and go buy a Coca-Cola, he'd sneak him through. He tried that on me. And I said, that's not going to work. So he was bringing people through. Yeah, he was bringing people through, and he was bribing the border patrolman, which he was obviously successful, maybe maybe successful in doing, but it wasn't successful with me. And anyway, so how did how did you feel about knowing that there was your your um, I wasn't fellow sure. servicemen? I never I never knew for sure there was. Okay. There was only one time that I knew that a fellow serviceman was uh, 
was maybe taking a bribe or something. We had busted, uh, we had busted some drugs, and there was money, loose money laying all over. Mm, okay. And uh, in collecting the money, uh, I think this one border patrolman pocketed a bunch of it. How did you feel about him? I I, th- I thought he was worse than what we were arresting. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that your fellow serviceman was taking yeah. bribes, you know, stuff well, in his we're, pockets. We're putting, I, I I don't think he took that much. I don't think it was more than maybe a couple $20 bills. There's a whole bunch of, I remember there's a bunch of 20s and 5s and 10s. And, mm-hmm. But you see, you gotta be you got to be careful. <laughs> Here's okay. something comical. Okay. I'm a trainee. My first drug bust. Yeah. And I'm with, I'm with, uh, I forget who, what his, what his name was. Anyway, and he's with me and he's training me. And we bust this college kid. Okay. Uh, 19, 20 years old. We bust this college kid. Yeah. And he's got these, he's got a sea bag half full of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Mota, of, of marijuana. And, uh, and we get it and there's, there's 13 kilos. 13 kilos of marijuana. That's not very much. That's, that's <laughs> a small bus. You know. That's a small bus. I got a, that's I got incredible. a diary. That I got, 13, I got, 13 I kilos. I mean, okay, so now obviously I'm working from the perspective of me growing up from 1993 until now. Ah, uh, 13 kilos. It wasn't 13 kilos for me. I'm just imagining how much space that would take up, and that is a ton of marijuana. No, <laughs> 200 it's, it's what? It's not that much. What was the biggest bust you had? Marijuana. Well, or biggest drug bust? You I've had. got a. I never had any one real big bust. Uh, well, like I told you, when I, when I injured my ear, okay, uh, that was uh, two full sea bags. Was when that with that guy in the and I think there's three full sea bags. Me, what you can get 30, 40 kilos in a sea bag, and we had three full, and that was the one where I. Shot, shot a warning shot right next to my ear and blew my ear out and I was stone dead yeah. for three year for yeah. three day, three weeks. So so we're getting a lot of bus. I I've got my diaries for seventy four, seventy five, seventy three, seventy four, right there in my office. You can read them. And I was involved, not directing myself, but involved. I think it was nineteen seventy three with over two ton of marijuana. Two tons. In that particular year, four thousand, four thousand pounds of that weed. I that that I was just involved. I mean, involved. I think it come out to about two times. There was a lot of marijuana. They, the customs would go go burn all the marijuana we'd get every so often. So they would go and burn it. Yeah, they'd burn it. They had this place where they'd burn it. Okay, now depending upon now this is funny. It depended upon which way the wind was blowing. Now if the wind was blowing, if the wind was blowing north. All the kids from the neighborhoods would come around and sniff the marijuana that was burning. <laughs> and they would get super high? And they'd get high on it. <laughs> if, it warm, if the breezes was blowing to the south or similar to that, you'd have all the Mexican kids coming out to <laughs> get their free... <laughs> get their free hits. <laughs> oh, I tell you, finally they had to... Be, they, they finally, because the mothers were complaining from both sides of the fence, of <laughs> stop burning the marijuana next to the border. <laughs> you know, they finally got this furnace contained and everything with oh my goodness that's so to, funny uh, yeah it, it, yeah that was that was uh okay so so let's move on from the border patrol so you you went from the border patrol you'd had how long did you serve in the border patrol i served in the border patrol till right about 
1979-1980. Okay, so you, uh, the, when did you join again? What year? I, I joined in, in May of 1972. 72 to, sev- or to about 80. So about eight Let's years. Let's just say right about 80 because, yeah, so it's about seven, about eight years that I'm, that I'm on the border. Uh, Carter becomes president okay. in uh, 1977. Everything's going south. And I knew I wasn't going to make it with this guy. You didn't like Carter? Oh, the first thing he does. Now, I don't have the, I don't have the stuff in front of me, and I, but I can go and get it to refresh my memory. But I, and I'm not going to say names okay. unless I have my notes in front of me and I can get them and go through it. But let's just. We don't have to jump into that too far if you okay. don't want to. Because basically my intention with this is I want to just kind of get a, a solid timeline. the line. greatest Secret Service shootout in history. Okay. All right. Well, then I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. Okay. This all is the right. greatest Secret Service. And this tells you why one shot, one kill. Okay. Okay. In front of the Blair House. Across the street from the White House, from the front of the White House, is the Blair House. Okay. The Blair House is where the president will keep dignitaries and everything. In the 1950s. So his guests, that he would come in, yeah. they would stay at the Blair House. In the House. 1950s, they're doing a renovation of the, of the White House. They're rebuilding it. The White House. The White House. Not so the Blair House. They gut it out okay. the inside. And the president is staying in the Blair House. Okay. Now, in the Blair House, you have East and West. And so you have two guard houses. One, as you're looking at me now, yeah. to my left. Yep, yep. And one, as you're looking across at me now, to my right. Okay. Okay. And uh, the one to, on my left was over towards the side of where the executive office would be, mm-hmm. building, yep. West Wing, whatnot. And then to the right would be over towards Lafayette Park and yeah. whatnot. Okay. Now, there's a guardhouse on each side. Well, of the Blair is, House. Yeah. Gotcha. And you'd have White House. They called them White House Police at that time. Not Secret Service. Yeah, they're part of the Secret Service, but they called them the White House Police. They're still part of the Secret Service. Okay. They were the uniform. The uniform branch of the Secret Service was, at first, the White House Police, which was made up of elite police officers from the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. They were elite police officers. Yeah. And they just brought him in as being part of the Secret Service. Okay. Then it went from the White House Police to the Executive Protective Service, EPS. EPS. That was me. Okay. And I came in, and I was in the second class. Second class EPS. Of the EPS. Okay. Executive Protective Service, which was the White House Police. Mm -hmm. And then it went from the EPS to just the uniform branch. Sure, sure. Okay. Okay, but it was basically the same thing. Gotcha. Okay, in all three incidences. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you had an officer at a post here and an officer at a post here. Yeah. Now, on the post towards the executive office building on my left, as I'm showing you here, was, was stood, I believe it was an agent that was on duty. Okay. On the one to my right was a White House police officer. And then you had some regular police officers and stuff around. The president was in his quarters at the time. Okay. Now, there's two Puerto Ricans that uh, wanted the communist agenda to rule in Puerto Rico. Okay. All right. They wanted their independence and they wanted their communism. Okay. You know? All right. Gotcha. And, uh, <clears throat> and they weren't getting their way. 
And so they, and, but Truman promised to let them have their free elections and govern themselves. And if that's where they wanted to go, let it go that way. Okay. They were being impatient. And so they decide they're going to assassinate Truman. So there was an assassination attempt on Truman's life. Yeah. Okay. So there was two of them. One, and they, and they had a uh, P-32 or something. It was uh, European-made pistols that they had uh, with a clip, you know. Yeah. Automatic pi- pistols. And one approached the gate to my left and one approached the gate to my right, which is towards Lafayette Park. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and the first shots fired was the guy on the right, and he was the, he was the experienced one. He knew how to shoot, yeah. this Puerto Rican. So I'm, I'm, pu- had- I'm pulling it up right here. On, on, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm, I'm tracking as well. Um, so I pulled up the attempted assassination of Harry S. Truman. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was carried out by militant Puerto Rican pro-independence activists. Yes. Oscar Coyazzo. Oscar Coyazzo. And then... Chris Leo Torresola is his name. Which one was shot and killed? Um, so, uh, so Oscar Collazzo and Chris uh, Leo Torresola or Torres Torresola Torresola T O R R E S O L A. While president was sighted at the Blair House during the renovation of the White House, yeah. uh, both men were stopped before getting entry to the house. Uh, Torresola mortally wounded White House police officer Leslie. Kaufelt. Kaufelt. Yes, who killed him in return fire. Yeah, and what was his name, Torresol? Uh, Torresola, T-O-R-R. Yeah. E-S-O-L-A. Yeah. So he mortally, so he killed so Tor- Leslie Kaufelt. Well, let me tell you how it goes. Okay. Uh, Leslie Kaufelt died. Mm-hmm. But Torresol approaches, Oscar approaches from the other side. Coyazzo. Coriazzo. He approaches from the other side and he gets killed. Okay. So the shootout starts. But Torresolo, Torresola, yeah. approaches Kafel and his guardhouse. Okay. These are the first shots fired and right off. Bam, bam, bam. Three shots right into the chest of Corifel. Three shots, two in the chest, one in the stomach. Corifel goes down, he's out. He's he done. He's done. He comes around, now he's shooting. He shoots another, uh, I think it's Capitol Police that's trying to go in, and this will tell you there. Okay. You can... Uh, uh, I'm looking at it everything. as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's running inside the building. Okay. And they shoot at him, and I think he gets wounded or something, but he gets inside the building. He's going to protect the president, of course. He's getting to the president uh-huh. to stop him from being able to go in. Okay. In the meantime, President Truman comes to the window, opens up the window, and hangs out the window to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah People that are really rich and, and people that are rich on power and everything else, they, you know, it's, it's like I know everything. I, you know, and Truman, like, I, well, I was. So it says here that in New York City, nationalists Griselio Torresola and Oscar Coyazzo developed a plan to assassinate the president yeah. in order to raise awareness of the drive for their yeah. independence. They wanted to show that the October 30th okay. uprising had the, not been... Okay, gotcha, okay. Here's the gotcha, shot. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Here's the shot that made it. Okay. Dori also shoots Kofit. Now, yeah. all this is Kofit, happening, Kofit, I think, yeah. Kofit, I think it doesn't take more than 28 seconds. You're going to find out if you read it. Okay. The whole shootout. Okay. So it's 30 seconds, essentially, a half a minute. Yeah. 
Roughly, and and it's going to verify what I'm telling you there, I think. Okay. Okay, so Tori Solo shoots Coffee. Coffee falls down. He's out. So yeah. Now he comes around, and he's shooting. And uh, the other <clears throat> agent at the other end shoot, shoots and kills Oscar. Okay. Or no, wounds Oscar. He's wounded. Okay. Torricello, who's a better shot of them all, mm-hmm. he's emptied his gun. Okay. He looks up, and the president's hanging out the window. Now, witnesses have verified this. You're not going to see it in the write-up. Okay. He's hanging out the window. Truman is. Truman is. Agent on the other side is telling the president to get back in the window. Because there's a shootout going out. Yeah. So the agent at the side, at the end where the executive office building is, is telling at that guardhouse, is telling the president to get back inside. Yeah. The president isn't doing it. Hanging out the window. Kofelt gets himself together. Wait, Kofelt has already Kofelt. been... He's Kofelt. already been shot twice in the chest and once in the stomach. I believe you're going to find that that's going to verify. So, right yeah, I'm, I'm reading through it. Okay. So, um, Torresola approached the Blair House located, okay, from the west side, Waikoyoto, walked up behind Capitol Police Officer Donald Birdzell, who was standing on the steps of the Blair House. President Truman was napping in his quarters on the second floor. Coyazzo tried to shoot Birdzell in the back, but had failed to chamber around in his pistol. Then the gun did not fire. Coyazzo uh, chambered around and then fired the weapon just as Birdzell was turning to face him and shot the officer in his in right knee. knee. Yep. That's yep. on the other end. Okay. After hearing the gunshots, Sir, Secret Service agent uh, Vincent Rose yes. ran through the basement corridor, stepping out of the street-level door on the east side of the house, where he opened fire on Coyazzo. Moreau stopped uh, Coyazzo with a bullet to the chest while he was on the entrance steps. The two other officers also shot Coyazzo in what was described as, quote, the biggest gunfight in Secret Service history, like you said earlier. Okay, now, Cofelt. And I think it's going to tell you there. Three cool. of those shots struck Kofelt in the chest and, abd- and abdomen. The fourth went through his tunic. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Kofelt okay. gets up, comes out, lean, is leaning against, and I get this, and you're not going to read this here. Okay. I got this from other agents that, you know, he's leaning against his guardhouse. Torresole has emptied his gun. He's putting another clip in. Yeah chamber and he sees Truman hanging out the window hanging out the window 30 feet away he's coming up to kill Truman he whirls around he well he doesn't have to whirl he just he, he just turns yeah he turns yeah. about 90 and degrees he's, and he's coming up to target uh-huh Cofield knew he only had one round he's got two bullets in the chest and one in the stomach went through his tunic yeah fires one shot Catches him right in the t- temple. Drops him. Dead. He's stinking dead before his knees hit the pavement. There you go. All right, so here's what the write-up says. At that same, or Birdzell could no longer uh, stand and was in, effectively incapacitated. Um, uh, Terrasola was standing to the left of the Blair House steps to reload when President Schumann looked outside to the second floor window, 31 feet, 31 feet from okay, the attacker. Uh, Secret Service agents shouted at Truman to get away from the window. At the same moment, Kaufelt left the guard booth, propped up against it, like he said, and fired his 38 uh, at Torresola about 30 feet away. Kaufelt hit Torresola two inches above the ear, killing him instantly. Kaufelt limped back to the booth and blacked out, taken to the hospital. He died four hours later. Yep. Wow. 
One shot. One shot, one kill. One kill, two bullets in the chest. One in the abdomen. One in his abdomen. Holy Took God. a shot 30 feet away. Boom. And nailed him. Nailed him. Right in the temple, instantly dead. In other words, he was able to pull the shot of the sentry. Wow. Best shot ever made. Wounded man. Just think of it. Can you hold it together? Take yourself. He could have just laid there. He could have. Pulls himself up. Two shots in the chest. One in the abdomen. A fourth one went through his tunic already. So he's been shot four times. Leans against the guard post. Because he can't keep up and everything. He can't stand. He's using the support of the building itself. Sees them. Sees Tori Essel. Reload. Sees the president hanging out the window. Sees Tori Essel. Knows in his dying breath. He's got one shot. Holy cow. Takes the shot. Drops him. Drops him dead. Holy cow. Wow. I've never heard this story before. I've never heard about this, this shootout. Every, every secret service. Every secret service agent knows the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's, incre- that's incredible. Oh, my God. Can you imagine a shot? Now, there's your training. That's what you have to live up to. That's that's what, and or not so much live up to, but that's like the the uh, a showcase of what the training if I, does. If I'm going to give a warning to my enemy, mm-hmm. like I would say this, you don't want to come and take my flag down. Yeah, I'm not going to miss. Yeah, yeah, guarantee you. Yeah, you threaten my children, I won't miss. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So now, so now let's fast forward. You do eight years in the border patrol. Mm-hmm. You are not, you're still living in San have, Diego. And, and I have this story in my head. Yeah. And I'm trained because we're all taken there and we're, we know this story. Mm-hmm. The officers do. Yeah. It's, it's the shot of the century. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a shot of the history of mankind. It's the Secret Service's greatest shot was done by a White House uniformed officer. Who not was shot. Not the agent or anything else who was carrying two bullets in his chest and one in his stomach. Yeah. Had to lean against the post. Yeah. Saw the president hanging out the window 31 feet away. Yep. And his assassin another 30 feet away with 38. And he's into his trigger pole practically coming up to shoot him. Yeah. Takes a shot. Nails him in the temple right above the ear. Yep. He lined up on his ear is what he did. Mm -hmm. He did exactly as he was trained to do. Lined up on the ear. Squeezed off the trigger. I think it was a four-pound tri- four pull, so it's there. Yeah. And uh, took him down. Wow. And, That's and so he, crazy. And, he, and that, that guy who just went in, and he was down, and he was dead by the time his knees hit the ground. Wow. So this is the kind of, so the reason why we say this story is because you have this, um, this, you, you had heard the story, you had been told about it in the Secret Service, you, you, you kind of bookmark that in your own brain. While you're going through the border patrol, you're working with, uh, you know, Bajadores and and, and everything else. And this is kind of like what you kind of use as an example of good marksmanship and duty and the sense of protection and everything else. This is what you do. This this is why I die for my constitution. Yeah. And this is what you have to be made of. Yeah. And another example, I'm going to give you examples on this. I'm going to give you one more. Okay. And you can look it up. And you can look up at the at the at the runoff of the attempted assassination of Reagan. 
And when mm-hmm. you and when you look look at the YouTube of the actual shooting, you see I think it's MacArthur is his name. MacArthur? And I knew him. And now it's been forty some years, so I can't excuse my memory on names. Okay. I've been that good at it. Blonde man, light suit, he's with the president. And uh, when um, what's his name? His father owned the newspaper. Decides to shoot the president. John Hinckley Jr. Hinckley. John Hinckley Jr. decides to shoot the president because he's in. Anyway, he's in love with some movie. Anyway, so he. He's trying to impress, yeah, so Jodie Foster. Yeah, so Jodie Foster thing. So he goes to shoot him. The president's walking to the car. Now, if you look at the if you look at the YouTube feed, you see this agent suddenly come out and make a target of himself. He doesn't even try. He doesn't even reach for his gun. He just puts his arms out and just he puts becomes. Puts his arms out and becomes the target. All right, I'm going to look it up so we and can he watch takes it together. The president's bullet. That would have hit President Reagan. He didn't even try to pull his gun. Yeah. He didn't have time. The only thing he had time to do was make a target of himself. Okay, so I'm pulling up the video. Hold on one second. So I'm going to turn this around so we can both watch. Um, okay, get, get it on there. Yep. No, you want the video of the shooting. Okay. With All romantic right. delusions. Convinced. All right, let's start this over really quick. So this is John Hinckley Jr. Um, this yeah. is about a two-minute video. I'm going to show this to you so you can see a little bit more. I've, I've seen this before, but... There's a show. You've got to go to the shooting. March 30th, 1981. Okay. John Hinckley was a 25-year-old with romantic delusions. Convinced that actress Julie Foster would be okay. impressed if he killed the president. Outside the Hilton Hotel in Washington. Okay, now watch. Okay, so so for some context, John Hinckley Jr. is this young guy, mid twenties, and yeah. he wants to. He has some delusions. He's mentally ill. Yeah, and he is trying to impress Jodie Foster. For those of you who don't know what Jodie who Jodie Foster is, yeah. she was the main character in yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Okay, yeah. so he wants to impress this lady, and he thinks that shooting the president is going to impress her. Yeah. See, Hinckley caught up with his target. I don't think there was a better. Uh, now get ready to freeze it. How get the ready. training okay. worked. Uh, then the, the, the assassin. Secret Service agent. So this is guy is Joseph Piero. He's a retired Secret Service agent. And he's just telling the story. Yep. Attempt against President Reagan. Just See this guy here? Watching. Watching. Yep. As soon as the first. See? Yep. His right arms there. are out. He's wide. He doesn't even try to pull his gun. Here's Reagan behind him. Yep. He makes a target of himself. I knew this guy personally. Okay. And he takes a bullet in the abdomen for the shot that would have hit the president. the president. So he just grabs his stomach just barely. There you go. And then Nick, Nick and Reagan's in. Yep. And now he falls to the ground. And they throw him into the car. Agent Tim McCarthy, McCarthy. shielded Reagan with his body, taking a bullet in the process. Doesn't even try to get his gun. Sees yeah. the guy, knows he doesn't have time to draw down on him. Uh-huh. All he can do is just make a target of himself. Make a target of himself. Yeah. That man loves his constitution. Mm-hmm. I stood post with him. He's a Democrat. Yeah. There you go. That's true service right there. Yeah. Doesn't matter what a political affiliation you belong yeah. to. He's defending the constitution. He's defending the man who represents that constitution. Right. Yeah. God, that's so incredible. So when my children sit there and say, that's a worn out document, can you do that? That's tough. That's tough. 
Can you do that? Yeah. Wow. That man took that bullet. Now, that sacrifice. Yeah. So anyway, so incredible. I'm incredible. Yeah. All right. So I don't want to, I mean, we can talk about secret service yeah, stories yeah, forever, forever. So anyway, so I'm back in the border patrol. Yep. So and you go through, you're about 19, this is about 1980. Now yeah, we're at 79, 80 and 1977. I was not getting along with immigration border patrol. I had been to the Canadian border as an inspector. I was back down on the Mexican border. Okay. So you moved a bunch. Yeah, I moved, moved around. Yeah. I transferred up to uh, Canadian border. And then I, I, I just, I, I loved San Diego. I liked San Diego. Yeah. I liked living there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Brady was having some asthma things and, and his mother was fussing over him. And she had this, I, she had this concoction and stuff that she was giving poor Brady. And yeah. I feel sorry for him. Anyway, <laughs> poor Brady. Yeah. You know, and Brady was such a, such a good child that, okay, mom, you know, oh, yeah, sounds I'll, good. I'll drink. Yeah. It was alfalfa or something that something. anyway. Anyway, I decided to transfer back down to San Diego. It, the climate was better. I liked it. I liked the action down there. And I decided I'm going to transfer back down there and get back into the patrol. And I'm going to stay on the Mexican border the rest of my life down close. I was thinking about going to McAllister or something. Not, okay. Uh, Texas or somewhere like that. Anyway, so All change right. of plans. I get back down on the Mexican border. It's, uh, and it's 1977. And the peanut farmer becomes president. Okay. I'd say the peanut farmer. Anyway. And okay. he becomes president, and everything changes. Okay. And you didn't like Carter? Didn't like Carter. All of a sudden, it was... Uh, before, before Carter was even voted as president, we're getting all of these, uh, especially women, uh, that had... Uh, border crossing cards that would allow them to come across the border to go shopping there from Mexico and they had voter ID cards and they fessed up that they were voting for Carter. Okay. So you had you had voter fraud clear back then. Okay. So, so anyway so it's border patrolmen were upset. Okay. So but then here's what here was the clincher. Here was the clincher. Yeah, get away from the politics on that but here was the clincher. Okay. This Oscar survived his wounds. Mm-hmm. Cordiato. Yeah, Cordiato. He survives his wounds mm-hmm. from the Blair House. And then a bunch of his other people were also, but Truman gives him full pardon. Mm. Truman does or Carter does? Truman. I mean, Carter. Truman sentenced him to life. And then... Carter. To life in prison. First off, Oscar got death sentence. Yeah. And then Truman brought that down to life imprisonment okay carter becomes president and gives and gives uh, him a full pardon full pardon and he goes back to puerto rico to a hero's welcome because he was part of the the nationalist um yeah puerto rican affiliation okay and he goes back to puerto rico as a hero yeah and now i'm looking at this and i'm looking at this cofield who gave his life with two bullets in his chest and everything else to save the president. And that president gives full pardon to Oscar. I wasn't the only one. A bunch of us said, we're out of here. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't appreciate that. A lot of, of the secret service thing. people. No, uh, we're out of here. 
And I was working fraudulent documents at that time. What do you mean working fraudulent documents? Uh, uh, counterfeit birth certificates. So you were, you were working to That's make still what sure... what the immigration service was, and I was down at the port of entry, and I was working... At that time, I wasn't out in the field. I was working fraudulent documents. Meaning that you were, like, making sure that any document that came through as proof of, hey, I can well, legally they, cross... Well, if it was in question, and they were going into secondary inspection, and then sure, it would be turned sure. over to me, and, okay, let's see this birth certificate you're claiming. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a phony. Okay. Okay, now I'm gonna, we're going to prosecute you. Gotcha, gotcha. I want to get, I, I don't want to, I, like I said, we can talk about Secret Service. We can talk about Border Patrol for days. Okay, so I'm leaving the Border Patrol. Okay, you leave the Border Patrol. I leave the Border Patrol. We move back to Seattle. Okay. I decide that I'm going to make, I'm, I, I promised your grandma that she's going to have her own servant within 10 years because I'm going to make all kinds of money in the import-export business Okay. of leather coats and stuff like this. Okay. <laughs> I fall on my face. Yeah. <laughs> it, didn't it, just, it didn't work. No. So I ended up starting a carpet laying business and then that wasn't working out and I ended up in church security. Okay. So. And church security that's, offered that's kind to of some... match, match my wages. Church security says, you come to work and you take over security at the Seattle Temple. We can match the wages that you were making when you were in the border patrol or something or come close to it. Anyway, we made a deal. Okay, so you made a deal, and you, you're you a full-fledged member, you're doing all that stuff, and they ask you to be security detail for the head Seattle, of head of security at the Seattle Temple. And you are, uh, Grandma's also a temple worker at this time, correct? She later, not at the time I went to work, she later she become, yeah. Okay, so, so you were your great grandma. Before. Your great-grandma was the one that opened up the kitchen, and of course she had her daughter, yeah, your grandma mm-hmm. assisting in the kitchen, and then later she left and everything, and your grandma took over as head so, of the so kitchen. So, gra- so Grandma Ruth, great Grandma Ruth, opened up the kitchen at the Seattle Temple. First one too. First yeah. one too. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. And then, uh, and then your uh, so this was kind of handed down. Mm-hmm. If we'd have stayed there, your mom probably would have taken it over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she would have ran it as well. Yeah, she would. So anyway, so we're there and. Uh, and now my Secret Service training start kicking back in because now I've got on the side, I've got an immigration consulting business kind of going, but I'm just giving it away. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book, How to Immigrate Without a Lawyer, about that time and whatnot. And your grandma says to me, okay. quit giving the business away. Your okay. business, you got something here. So I'm doing free work every Thursday for these um, nationals from the Philippines okay. to get their citizenship that served in the Second World War. And, and it was good stuff. And I'm going back and forth. But I'm also providing protection for uh, church leaders when they would fly in. Coming into the Seattle Temple. Picking them up, taking them. And I'm getting close to this. And I'm also being kind of told, and it's kind of on the sideline, that I would, I very possibly could be one of the top three that protect the president himself. The president of the church. Of the church. Okay. Himself. So I want to make sure that we're delineating between the two because we have all the circuit service stories and everything else. To help out here and there. Okay. And when, uh, when Rulin was, was assassinated. Yeah. Rulin Allred. Rulin Allred. I was in the border patrol at that time. 1977. In 1977. And that was about the time I was thinking about, you know, this isn't going to work because, and at that time, 77, at that time I was starting to do the uh, 
fraudulent documents. I was starting to work with fraudulent documents at about that time. Okay. So I wasn't out in the desert kicking ass. I was yeah. I was behind. <laughs> you were doing office work. Yeah, essentially more, but more was, or less it was good work I yeah, mean, yeah 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 you know gotcha fraudulent documents are so when serious. when Rulin gets assassinated i get a phone call if i could come and help and uh, protect the president of the church okay so that's actually that's a very interesting thing to hear because it it lends to the the belief or the idea or the notion that the church the lds mainstream church was concerned enough with an offshoot uh, branch of Mormonism's leader was assassinated. So the church, who was assassinated in Utah, and um, the, the church at that time said, hey, we need to actually ramp up our security around our own leader because this offshoot right. leader's... The was, Baron, and the Baron was. Yeah. And yeah. the Baron had a guy by the name of um, Bill Tracy. Okay. Who was a bishop. And I knew Bill Tracy because I, and Bill Tracy, as it turns out, so Ruling gets assassinated by two women. Yeah. And uh, they're LeBaronites. Yeah. And I knew about the LeBaronites because uh, we were, the, we, the LeBarons were, were smuggling guns from the United States into Mexico. So hold on. You were turned on to who the LeBarons were and the polygamists and all that stuff when you were in the Border Patrol. Yeah. All right. Because I get a phone call one day and they say, hey, you got to get down here. And I said, why? He says, because, because you're a Mormon. Yeah. And we just arrested a Mormon. And I said, you arrested a Mormon? Of course, lights flashing. Uh-oh. I'm away, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's this Mormon? Yeah. I don't know who this Mormon is. Yeah. He says, well, I'm part of the LeBarons. And I said, who the hell are the LeBarons? Well, they're part of this polygamous group. So I figured all polygamists were LeBaronites. We okay. call them LeBaronites. Okay. And they're smuggling guns into... Into the U.S.? No, into the Mex- or into, into Mexico, Me- into Mexico, from the U.S. into Mexico. So the border patrol arrests this guy, okay, American citizen, okay, a LeBaronite, polygamist, hustling guns back across, into, smuggling guns into Mexico. Yeah, this is back in '75, mm-hmm. maybe '76. Okay, so that out of the picture. So, so anyway, I'm asked, uh, how quick can you can you come to Salt Lake if we need you? Okay. I said, well, at least give me a couple of days. I'll have to take emergency leave, and I could probably get a week off or something. He says, can, you be on, can we put you on standby? I said, of course. And you're in San Diego at this time? I'm in San Diego. I'm okay. in the U.S. Border Patrol. Gotcha, gotcha. Immigration Service. Yep, 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 yep. And so I'm telling why. So, of course, I'm zooming in on this. Because you're interested. Guy. It's a Mormon. It's security detail. Yeah. The Baronites. You're kind now, of turned on to this. Now, it's now a perfect the, storm. Now, in the church, I'm the... State mission leader. Okay. I get a President Floto, state president. Okay. Says, we got to clean up, and it's all because of the stuff that happened with Ruland. Mm-hmm. Says, we got to clean up. We got to, we, we found out, and we're being told that these LeBaronites are getting their uh, temple work done and posing as members, and they're doing it here in San Diego. And so you got to go, we want you, because of your training and your law enforcement background mm-hmm. to ferret these guys out okay so i start all right and, I, and my cover is that if it's a suspected member or something it doesn't matter where they are they don't have to be in my ward they could be anywhere in the stake but suddenly i am conveniently their home teacher mm, okay. okay so there was this guy by the name of bill tracy 
And I become his, and he happens to be in my stake because my stake was right on the border. Yeah. And he happens not only to be in my stake, he happens to be in my ward area. All right. Perfect. 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 So who, who is Bill Tracy? Bill Tracy turns out to be one of Earl LeBaron's bishops who taught oh. the two guys that shot Rulin how to shoot the pistols and got the pistols and gave it to him. So, he, so Bill Tracy is the guy who trained those two women. How to shoot the gun. How to shoot the gun, gave them the guns. Taught him how to shoot it. And Ervil, and this is, and I we're dropping a lot of names, and there's a lot of history, and there's an, an entire story that goes on with Rulin's assassination <laughs> attempt. And I don't want to go there with you because, I mean, I yeah, know we you can- do. <laughs> you want to go there with me because I got some stuff for you on that one. Okay. I end up on LeBaron's hit list, okay. not the top one over this <laughs> BS. Okay. So I, I want to focus I, on- d- <laughs> I want to focus I on- deported- I deported Bill Tracy's uh, third wife, Rosa. I deported her. Okay. <laughs> I got her out of the U.S. Okay. Yeah, Bill Tracy didn't like that. Okay. So Bill Tracy was a citizen, ran a carpet shop. There we go. So okay. you, are, you, you are asked by the church to come to Salt Lake City to help advise, be a part of, be involved in um, security detail for the president of the LDS church. Possibly, if if I was needed. If if, I if was, needed, yeah. you were kind of they, like they this. never did call me and take me in there. But okay, you were just kind of like we need we need you if we need yeah, you. Yeah, and we did that. That was all part. When I was in church security, I had a list of FBI agents and everything else that had temple recommends. They, we would only use temple recommend holders because we knew that they were true. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So you're in Salt Lake City. So every law enforcement officer that had a temple recommend was on us on a list of people that you could possibly you could call. Possibly access to help out and utilize and utilize yeah. okay okay gotcha so so you're in the church you're you're doing security work for the temple you get this call you're you're in salt lake city at this point correct no i'm still know. a border patrol agent at this okay time. so this you're is when ruling was killed ruling was killed in 77 uh, i i understand that and so you you're you're not in salt lake city no because i'm trying I'm to make san sure diego. you're I'm in, in san, diego. san diego okay i live on grove street as a matter of fact yeah. okay okay so you're in san diego you get this call Okay, what happens next? I just don't stand by. Oh, okay. Now, after that, that's President Floto calls me in okay. because of all this. And he wants me to start investigating because of the fact that I'd been in the Secret Service and, and I was an active Border Patrol one at that time. He asked me if I would, uh, that they had gotten intel yeah. from Salt Lake City and everything, that there was the Baronites that were pretending to be active members of the church and going in there and getting temple recommends so they can go through to get their endowments because that's the only way you're going to get to the top of the celestial kingdom mm-hmm. is by going through the temple and getting your endowments. Yep. And that way you get the, you get the garment. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I start doing that and by luck, I get this person that's a suspect, and so I make myself his home teacher. And his, ha- his and name this is Bill Tracy. This his name happens to be Bill Tracy. All right, okay. And uh, I know there's something because I I pick up on him, and I knew he spoke fluent Spanish. Yeah. And I caught him doing a drug, uh, some kind of a deal, and I don't know if it was human trafficking, but uh, with binoculars and everything, out on, on Imperial Beach Way. Matter of fact, it was the corner of the street I lived on. And I caught him doing some kind of business with uh, 
with what I suspected to be either Bahadori or LeBaron's. Okay. So I uh, trace this guy down. He's a member of the church. Okay. So I make myself his home teacher. Okay. So now I'm going into his home every month. Does he know that you're Border Patrol? Yeah, he knows I'm Border Patrol. But he okay. doesn't know that I'm... Turned on to him. Turned on to him, that I'm suspecting him. Yeah. And I'm suspecting him of being one of these LeBaronites, but I'm not sure. I don't have any evidence. Yeah. But I'm this just is suspecting it, it. Yeah, a hunch. Yeah. He's Caucasian. He speaks fluent Spanish. And what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then here's his wife. And the wife is Caucasian, and she's speaking fluent Spanish. And I knew that this Spanish she was speaking, that she was raised in Mexico. By the dialect and everything that you were hearing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, okay, yeah, so yeah, she's, from, she's okay. from Mexico, and yet she's as Anglo-American as you and I. Blue mm-hmm. eyes, the whole works. And she's got these children running around. But the children are not, all the children are not, are not uh, Bill Tracy's because I could tell that they were half Mexican. So I'm just really curious. Okay. Well, then, so then I pretend like I'm, I'm interested in whatever he believes because he's passing off as being this little lollipop Mormon. Yeah. But he doesn't have any church calling or anything like that. Okay. So finally he tries, he thinks he's going to incorporate me into the LeBaron group. And I was pretty good at doing that. I did it. I did it. That's why I'm the $8 million baptism. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to tell that story first before we go forward? No, no. Let's okay. Okay. We'll get back to that. We'll bookmark that. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, I find out, and I find out he's got a plural wife, and her name's Rosa. Bill. Bill Tracy, and he's got this plural wife, and she's got an I-186, which is a border crossing card that allows her to go within 25 miles of the border for shopping, back and forth, and everything else. Yep. And I nail him. With what? I deport his wife. But she had the document that was legal. And I, and, I get his, and I get him and I get his other wife excommunicated from the church. Okay, so here's a question. So she had the I-180 or what is Six, it? I-186. I-186. Border crossing card. So she had that and that was a document that granted her legal passage between the border within 25 miles and everything. So how are you able to deport her if she had legal documentation that she was allowed to? I pulled her documentation. What? I just took it away from her. Why? Because she was illegal, because she, because she was a plural wife. And I wanted to prosecute him for being a polygamist, and they wouldn't let me. Okay. The federal government wouldn't let me. Okay. The Border Patrol says, we're not going to let you out. Oh, for crying out loud. What are you doing? Well, the state president wanted me to. And so, so I said, listen, I said, this is a plural wife. That's fine. I'm pulling her I-186. Okay, so uh, hold on. So I want to make sure that we have the context correct here. So you were able to pull her I-186 because she was already doing an illegal lifestyle of living polygamy. And that was the caveat to be able to pull it? Or did you... Okay, so I wanted to make sure that... Yeah, I pulled it. I had the power to pull it. She was was misusing her I-186. Okay. I pulled it. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that that was clear because from what it sounded like, it's like you just wanted to and you just pulled it. Oh, I wanted to and I pulled it, but but I got the evidence to do so. But you were within your legal rights to do so. Of course I was. Okay, okay. I wanted to make sure that was clear. Okay, yeah. (laughs) All right. So I pulled her I-186. Okay. Now she can't come back across the border. Bill Tracy is pissed. Yeah. Earl LeBaron is pissed. Okay. I don't care. Was that thing? Was that the thing that put you on Ervil's hit list? Yeah, but I didn't know it 
You didn't know it. I didn't know it for <laughs> years later. Okay. Okay. All right. And, uh, and years later, years later. Yeah. I'm living in uh, North Bend. Yeah. I am the stake mission president again, and I've got one of the ward mission leader comes over to have dinner with Stella and I and his wife. Uh huh. And his wife uh, speaks Spanish. Oh, no. She's Anglo. And I said, where'd you learn to speak Spanish? She's looking at me. She says, I know who you are. I said, what do you mean? Oh, what? And then she looks at me. She says, my brother is Bill Tracy. Oh, I no. I about <laughs> fall out of my chair. I wish your grandma was here. She could tell you. I about fall out of my chair. What? He said, don't worry about it. Oh, word. The whole family is upset with him for being a LeBaronite. Okay. But you need to know something. Huh. You're on his hit list. I said, well, he's in jail now. At that time, I believe he was in jail. Okay. So it doesn't make any difference. You're on his hit list, but you're not on the number one hit list. You're on the second hit list. I said, oh, there's there's two hit lists? Oh, yeah. And you were on the second. I was on the second. You were second draft? I was second draft. (laughs) I wasn't number one draft. (laughs) Rulin was. (laughs) Rulin was on there, and we all know, well, not all of us know that story, but most people, I mean, most of my listeners know that story. So I'm just blown away. I can't believe this. I said, it's a small world. Holy cow. Nothing ever came of it, but I, but. Anyway, so yeah, when your mother did your mother warn you that I go wandering off? Yeah, she did, and that's okay with me. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Well, so your mother warned you that yeah, she did. Yeah, you no. got you got to bring Grandpa back on. Well, no, and and I, do you feel like I'm doing a decent job making your stay on track? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you remember okay. I sit there and I know I got to get back on track. And it's you know okay. Where to take it's me. okay. So you you are uh, asked to be kind of on a standby. With the church. Yeah, we're coming back to that. Okay, so you're on standby with the church. You're doing this kind of stuff. You're still in San, uh, San Diego. Um, yeah. And I want to ask you about, um, I mean, we have a lot of stories to get out with your membership with the church and everything we're else. We're going there very um, quick here. If you're comfortable, I would like to know what it was like for your from your side of the of perspective about doing and bringing things and your story involving you converting from Mormonism to okay. so we're the Pogamist lifestyle. So I, I eventually leave. I eventually quit because of... You quit the Border Patrol because of I, Carter and all that stuff. Yeah, and, okay. and the amnesty, and I yep, quit. Yep, I yep, go yep, into yep, business, yep. and now I'm church security. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And I'm hauling these apostles around. Apostles, meaning first presidency. First presidency and stuff are showing up and doing this, and they're doing that, dedicating building. And I'm thinking, these people, you know, and, and these people aren't going to lead you astray. And I, I told your grandma, I says, I feel like I'm back in Washington, D.C. for crying out loud. <laughs> Instead of the White House, I got the Mormon Temple. Yeah. Mormon Temple is no different than the White House, honey. These guys are a bunch of... Uh, I, I think I qualify for heaven more than they do. <laughs> so hold on. I have a few questions. And, and, and your grandma, your grandma was so concerned. She went to the stake president and says, I think my husband has lost his spirituality. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it got So hairy. what kind of things did you see when you were working with the first presidency while you're at the It wasn't so much what I see. It was the type of men they were. I was really disappointed. And I thought you're no different than these politicians. So what led you to believe that or They're, think that? They were, they, they were businessmen, for one thing. Okay. Obviously very I wealthy. I my scriptures better than they did. Oh, okay. You That's know? interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I could talk circles around them. 
And I'm thinking, how in the heck, except those that were maybe mission presidents and stuff. And and I'm I'm sitting there thinking, this this isn't working. Okay. And and Stella saw my concern, and then, so I was, and then I saw the state presidents were not following their their book of directions and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I'm writing letters to the first presidency. I'm writing letters to the Council of Seventy and telling them, hey, get these guys back in order. Because I'm, I'm seeing, I, I'm ex Secret Service. Hey, this is the way you do it. You do it. You don't get offline. Yeah. They were getting offline. Right. I was reporting them. They didn't like me reporting them. Oh, okay. So I said, you this were, isn't working. You were coming more and more uh, disenchanted. Oh, yeah. I was reading Isaiah 27, 28. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. drunkards of Ephraim. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now I'm looking. So then I had to do something. So I'm having a question. And Bob Openshaw, you know Bob Openshaw? I, I, I've. Oh, I, I don't know about you. Ask your mom. You ask your dad. I don't. I've never met Bob. Bob Openshaw. But I, I've heard the name. Pinesdale. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Stoker, Clyde, Clyde Stoker. Uh, yeah. And Clyde. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Stoker. Yep. So how did you get acquainted with Bob and Clyde? Oh. <laughs> I, I almost if i'd had a gun i might have shot clyde that day okay <laughs> i mean if he would have right. gotten my way okay okay so why so why is that well, okay tell okay. me the story so, tell so me the story. i'm having a hard time so the temple president really liked me okay okay he the temple president liked me okay and and he he said to me he says rod he says he says you're getting in trouble with the brethren because you're studying certain things mm-hmm like I had somebody studying this Adam God doctrine, and I'm saying, well, Brigham Young taught the Adam God doctrine. How can you deny it anyway? I'm, and and I'm being told, don't let Marky Peterson know that you're doing this. And I'm and who's Marky Peterson? Marky Peterson was one of the apostles at the time. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I'm questioning the brethren, and I'm questioning the brethren because they're not following the doctrine that Joseph Smith taught. Okay. And now I'm starting to question this thing of 1890 and the manifesto and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and so I'm starting, I'm, and I'm openly asking these questions and I'm being told, Hey, back off. You're not supposed to ask these questions. You're not supposed to ask these questions. So the temple president says, uh, I would like, you know, we're building the West Jordan temple. Okay. And Stella needs to go down there and help them design their kitchen. And you need to go down there and help them design their security system. And if they need to employ canine security and help them design it. Now, I'm ex-Secret Service and stuff like this, you know. Yeah, you have a lot so of I knowledge. Knew, yeah, I had the knowledge yep. to help yep. them do this. And I'm head of the security. I designed the security system at the, at the Seattle Temple. I said, well, you have security that's there, you know, the Salt Lake Temple and everything else. Yeah, but we want you to go down and take a look at this and do this. Okay. He says, while you're there, I want you to go to General Conference because it was during the General Conference weekend. Okay. And I want you to go to General Conference and I want you to sit with my family and I'm going to give you special pass and you sit in the middle and you're going to be sitting with my family. And who is this that's telling you this? Reverend G. Derrick. Okay. And who? he was a member of the First Quorum of 70. Okay. And he says, sit with my family. All right which is going to be in the middle. Okay. And they'll be there. We'll be there. I, 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 don't, I don't know if Roy G. Derrick was there or not. If he okay. was, he was up on the stand. I believe he was. Okay. So Stella and I go. 
And you go to conference. Yeah, but the second counselor in the temple presidency for Roy G. Derrick comes to me and he says, Rod, you're having a, you're having a problem with the brother. The brethren are turned on to and having yeah. an issue with and you. And I want you to go to Weller's bookstore. Okay. And give him this. And he gave me a little slip of introduction. Okay. Show this brother, you know. Yeah. Where he can get some stuff. Knowledge. So after, so I'm sitting there in conference. Head of security for the church. Yeah. One of the guys maybe you're going to end up in, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting royal treatment. Yeah. Ex-Secret Service coming in here and everything else going to show us how to do this. Let's, let's see what he knows, what he's going to do and everything else. Yeah. Well, I, sideline here. So their guy that they have for security takes me through and I says, we go into the basement and I says, well, one of the first things you got to do is get rid of that Coke machine. You know, what do you mean? Hey, you can't have a Coke machine in the temple. <laughs> he says, this is Salt Lake. I, I said, what do you mean? I said, they would never, they wouldn't dare put a Coke machine in, in Seattle. I said, why? I wouldn't let them. You got that kind of power? I don't, well, I have power or not, I wouldn't let them. Okay, so why did they, not, why was it bad to have a Coke machine in the temple? Exactly. You're a Mormon and you would drink Coke? Coca-Cola? <laughs> That's worse than coffee. <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that. Okay, so anyway, I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, where am I? You know? Yeah. You can't do this in Seattle, but you can do it in Salt Lake. So you're seeing the hypocrisy. I'm seeing the hypocrisy. Okay. Yeah, you know, don't drink Coke if you're from Seattle, but if you're in Salt Lake, you can drink Coke. Mm. Oh, by the way, we own the controlling shareholder yeah, Share, yeah we're the controlling yeah. shareholder of coca-cola yeah yeah <laughs> you know but uh, leave the pepsi alone <laughs> yeah yeah exactly anyway that's another thing sure 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 well after conference that day and i'm watching these brethren come up there and i'm trying to get this revelation that they won't lead me astray so after conference stella is going into special meetings with uh, the relief society and everything on organizing the kitchen okay so i've got the afternoon off now, Stella and I have an agreement that we don't spend more than $25 without the other one's permission. Okay. And I've got about $25 or so cash. All right. I go into Sam Willer's bookstore. And this is in Salt Lake City? In Salt Lake City. And I go up to somebody and I says, is Sam Weller here? And they said, yeah, and there is this old man over there. And I said, I've been sent... And I said the name of the second counselor. I'm not going to mention his name. He's still very active in the church. Okay. Yeah. Well, now I said second counselor. I just identified his calling. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm still not going to say his name. Sure, that's fine. Okay. So <clears throat> suddenly, Willer wants to talk to me. He says, "Yeah, I send him over." So I'm over there at this little desk he's at, and he's busy. He's a typical book, book man. Mm-hmm. And I gave him, give him the slip of paper, and he looks at it, and he says, okay, I know where. He says, go up these stairs. The good stuff's up there. That's All what right. I said, the good stuff's. The good stuff is up on up, up the top on of the stairs. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> here's uh, uh, a book by uh, uh, Ruling and Owen's Dad. I don't know his name. On, yeah, he wrote a book. There's his book. And then here's another book from another fundamentalist type. 
And then off to the side, I see this book. And I see this book, and it's called The Notes. The Notes. The Notes. Written by Bob Openshaw. <laughs> Published by Bitterroot Press. Huh. I thumbed through it. Yeah. I got to have this book. Wait a minute, I got this book, and I got this book. I'm, uh, I'm over $25. Oh, but I got to have I got oh, to get this book. I'm not going to wait. I'll sacrifice this book. I've got to have this book. I forget what it was. It was expensive. A big, thick book called The Notes. Yeah. Anyway, I don't. I think I went over my $25. But anyway, I bought the book. Yeah. I get back to the hotel. I start reading this book. I can't put it down. Stella comes. This is The Notes. Yeah. By Bob Openshaw. Yeah. Okay. We drive back to North Bend. We're living in North Bend at that time. Mm -hmm. This is 1987. I said, Stella, I'm going to some place called Pinesdale. Yeah. And I am going to see this Bob Openshaw guy. Bob Openshaw guy. Because he knows some stuff that I need to understand. Now, I had no idea that he was a polygamist. I had, so I, I get his phone number and I make arrangements to meet him. And he says, well, he says, don't come, into, don't come into this place called Pinesdale. I'll meet you at the Ferris wheel just before you turn in. There's a Ferris wheel there. Well, it happens to be right where uh, Marvin had his window business. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was a Ferris wheel, kind of a Ferris wheel. And it had like a bunch of advertising signs. Advertising. Yep. Yep. He describes it. He says, there was a mini putt park. golf course there. Yeah, he says, yep. you park on the other side of the road. Well, I don't think a mini course then. But anyway, 1987, you park on, or 1986 it was. And it was in August. August of 86. Yeah, and he says, and you park on the other side of the road. And I'll come down. And you call me from a pay phone. And I'll come down. So I drive, and I remember stopping at Lolo and going in and, and, and washing up there and looking at the area where it was, and I drive, I drive and I see the place, but I'm, I'm scoping everything out. Yeah, okay. But I don't drive up into Pinesdale. They didn't have GPS at that time. Sure. But I'm scoping everything out. I want to see who this guy is, and, I'm, and I remember when I was going to take this trip, I got my gun, because mm -hmm. I always carry my gun. Yeah. And I said, no, leave your gun home. You're on the Lord's work. Heavenly Father's going to protect you. You don't need a gun. Okay. So I left my gun home. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I did not take my gun with me. All right. Which is unusual for me in taking a trip like sure. that. Sure. So uh, I stop at a little bit of cleanup. And then I drive. I see where this place is I'm supposed to meet. And so I drive into Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I walk through Hamilton. I look at the park. I say, this is a nice place. Yeah. I remember my brother talking about it, and he wouldn't mind living there. This is, this is a nice town, nice place. I drive back. Yeah. So I, I go to a payphone in Hamilton. I call. I get a hold of Bob Openshaw, and um, I make arrangements to meet him down there. Yeah. In about half hour, I get there. So I told him a little later because I wanted to get there early. I didn't want... I didn't want to arrive and him waiting for me. I wanted to arrive and I watch him approach. Yeah. So I park. And you're next to the, you're across the road from the Ferris wheel and all mm -hmm. that stuff at this point? Okay. And it's a hundred, it's about a hundred degrees. It's 90, high it's 90. Tough. Yeah, it's hot. August 8th, 1986. I think it was August 8th. All right. 
and the car pulls up. This big, robust, heavy man gets out. Yeah. Now, I'm in short sleeves. Yep. Kind of a muscle t-shirt, no t-shirt, hot. Yeah. Here's this guy, full t-shirt on up to here. Yeah, buttoned down, I'm assuming, right? Buttoned down right to his wrist. Yep. And I think, who is this guy? <laughs> I read about the original garment. He's wearing the original garment. Otherwise, he wouldn't be. Now, I'm, I'm thinking law enforcement here. here you yeah, know, yep. He's being profiled. Yeah. I'm profiling him, and I two law, two federal law enforcement academies behind me and all my experience. I'm profiling this guy right to a T. Yeah. I'm thinking, he's got the long garment. Where'd he get it? Where'd he get that garment? Because he'd be only an idiot would be dressed like that unless he had something underneath. He's yeah. got the original garment. I want to know where he got that garment. Because you had read about the garment beforehand. I read about the garment in the notes, his book. Yeah. But in the book, he never says that he's an actual polygamist or anything like that. In the book, he's protecting himself. Okay. But I want to know where he got that garment. All right. So we meet and everything, and it's agreed that he's going to take me up to his house. Okay. Pinesdale. All right. Hey, going to Pinesdale. All right. We go into Pinesdale. Did you drive separately? Yes. Okay. I'm following him. Okay. And we go to, he says, I'm going to take you to the academy first. Go to the school. Yeah, and he says, and, and, and there a man by the name of Clyde Stoker, who, who is a 70, and the church is going to meet with us. Okay. I'm going, okay, you're 70s. Okay. You have the same structure. Yeah. I'm All a, right. I'm a 70. Yeah. Yeah, this is, we're home. Where'd you get that long garment? <laughs> so we go to the academy. When we make the left turn to go to the end of the academy, I notice this house sitting there with this big deck and these little children playing on it. Mm -hmm. Little did I realize that that little boy in 1987 playing on that deck was going to be married to my daughter. I'd have turned around <laughs> and ran away and drove away so fast, I'd have been spinning mud up in the wheels. Uh, anyway, we go in, yeah. and I meet this guy called Stoker, and he gets in the car, and we're going to go over to Border. Uh, Bob opened Shaw's, and I said, you guys got an academy here? What What do we got here? Yeah. I am not connecting to a polygamy yet. Yeah. We go over to Bob Openshaw's house. Mm -hmm. We go into the house, and here this Clyde Stoker, he's buttoned up to the wrist. So now I'm starting to get suspicious. And then I'm looking, and as we're driving over, I'm seeing these girls in long skirts. Yep. And I'm thinking... The Baronites are in Mexico, not here. Matter of fact, I was ferreting these guys out of the church down yeah. in Mexico not that many years ago. Yeah, you were weeding them out. I was weeding them out. And now here I am amongst them. Talking and with I'm, them. And I'm on LeBaron's hit list. And I'm. And these are LeBaronites, possibly. Okay. No, 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 no. We're clear up here in Montana, for crying out loud. There's no <laughs> LeBaronites in Montana. So we get to the house and we get in. Okay. And I'm looking around. And I'm in the kitchen, Bob Wichelt's kitchen, and he's talking to me about the book, and I'm asking questions. And pretty soon I shut up. Because I, I realize that I'm amongst 
what I interpret to be LeBaronites. Ah. And I know that I'm on their second list. And I know that I that Bill Tracy gave the guns to the gals that shot Rulin. Mm-hmm. And now they're talking about Rulin. Oh, okay. And I'm realizing I'm amongst fundamentalists. So you, did you, and I don't have a gun. So you realized that they were talking about, you know, oh, so how, what were they saying about Ruland specifically that like. What a great man he was and everything. Okay. So. And, I didn't think he was a great man. He was a polygamist. He got shot by the LeBarons because he was trying to take over the LeBarons or something. something you know, yeah. I was taking the church scenario. Yeah. Yeah. On this whole thing. Yeah. So I'm going to put my sweater on. Sure. So. So you went and you were sitting in Bob Openshaw's house. In the kitchen. And you're chatting with Bob and Clyde. Yeah. And they're telling you all about the, um, the, the, the work that they, that they do. Are, are they just basically doing essentially like a missionary spiel for you? Or? Uh, Clyde, Stoker, Clyde Stoker was starting to, uh, to start in on it. Okay. And I decided I had to get out of there. Okay. You were wigged out. I'm out of here. Yeah. Buddy, I'm, I'm out of here and you don't want to get in my way. Okay. And so now I'm figuring out how I'm going to take these two guys out. Okay. And so... And you don't have your gun. And I don't have my gun. So my thinking is, <laughs> Clyde Stoker is just this big old fat... And I'm using language that I would be thinking, this big old fat guy, and all I have to do is just knock him off his feet, and he's going to take... It's going to take him a couple... You know, he's not going to get up very quick. Yeah. And Clyde Stoker is the one i got to worry about. He's smaller than me. And I got to knock him out. Mm-hmm. I got to grab something away, and I got to hit him over the head. I got to knock him out. So you're making a plan of escape. Yep. I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to get the <laughs> hell out of here and get off this mountain. <laughs> right. Because I'm around some LeBaronites, and I'm on their second hit list. Yeah. Clyde Stoker was a master teacher. Yeah. He sees it. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, I can, I'm, I'm reading that you're really upset. And I said, I got one question for you. Yeah. I said, you LeBaronites? Just like that. Yeah. Clyde Stoker makes makes a big yaya type comment or something. Uh, what was his comment? Oh, how negative the LeBaronites were. And oh, so he was basically like, oh, he was disassociating from the LeBaronites. Yeah, we're but, not them. We're not associated with them. But you're polygamists or something like that. Then I followed up. And, and Clyde Stoker is getting it. And then pretty soon, Bob Openshaw says to Clyde, stop it. Clyde, stop it. You're divulging too much. No. Oh, okay. Says, no, because I was about to explode. And yeah. Bob Openshaw knew it. Yeah. And he knew that. And he knew I was ex-Secret Service and Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. I'd talked to him. Okay. And he knew what I was going to do. Yeah. He'd sensed it. And he says, listen, let me show you something. Let me explain to you how, why we are not LeBaronites. I can explain it to you. Okay. I said, yeah, what books are you going to pull out now or something? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use a book. I'm not going to use any book at all. He takes a big old roll of butcher paper that you'd wrap meat in. Yeah. Lays out about six feet of it on his table. And from memory only, gives me the whole history of fundamentalism. Bob Openshaw does. And he writes it out for you. He writes it out. Date, time, everything. Where the division was. 1890, everything. Yeah. The split, the... The spirit hit me. Yeah. 
the split, everything, and how they split, yeah. why they split, and that where, and that in that a level of detail, it sounds like was the kind of caveat for you well, to be like, oh, okay, here, this man here knew his scriptures. Yeah, I wasn't walking around him like you know. This was not some general authority that was a businessman or something. This guy here was spiritual. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knew his gospel. Mm-hmm. He should have been head of the priesthood. Yeah. At that point, I was thinking. Yeah. And he lays it all out perfectly. And he calmed me right down. Next thing you know, I'm having a drink. Clyde Stoker isn't saying a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then... And then I, I calm down. Yeah. Bob Openshaw teaches me. And then I start asking questions, and he's answering every one of my questions. Bob is. Bob is. And he's not having to go to, and he's not stuttering one word. He's not going, um, uh. He's speaking clearly, precisely. He's quoting scriptures, verse, without having to open up the scriptures. He's doing the history without having to go to any reference right off his mind. Wow. I am blown away. You're impressed. Impressed, to say the least. Yeah. You're wearing the full garment. He unbuttoned the sleeve and he says, yes, I am. And he shows you his garment. He shows me the sleeve of his the, garment. The sleeve of his garment, yeah. Yes, I am. And this guy is too, Clyde. Clyde nodded and he says, yes, he is too. And this is why. And he explains the whole thing. So how long was this meeting that you had with Bob oh, and Clyde? It, it was, I think it was about... 11 o'clock or something. Now we're about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, I'm hours into this thing. Yeah. And then he says, uh, I was going to spend the night. I was going to get a hotel. Mm -hmm. I was going to go back down into Hamilton. I think maybe I even reserved one or something. I said, well, I got a place in Hamilton. He says, I've got a room for you. And and then he he told me, he says he had two wives in this house. Hmm. And he says, one wife is gone and you can use her bedroom. If you want to stay here. And I said, you trust me to be here? He says, yes, I trust you to be here. And he says, and I'll make arrangements for you tomorrow morning and tomorrow to uh, to meet two of the brethren. I said, you do that? He says, yeah. So that night, I slept in his house, had breakfast with him in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then he says... You need to get to know Clyde Stoker. Okay. He works for Motorola. Yeah. He's not paid by tithing or anything else. He's a 70. He works for Motorola. He sells walkie-talkies. He probably could get a good deal. <laughs> and he says, and he, I want you to go with him, and he'll introduce you to Marvin, and he'll introduce you to Morris. Yeah. I said, Okay. He took, so now I'm turned over to Clyde Stoker. Yeah. Clyde Stoker now has got his act on. He's not pulling this BS with me of macho stuff or anything. So did you feel that uh, Clyde was doing that initially? Initially, I think Clyde was a a little bit nervous with who he was with. Okay. Being in my presence. Okay. And and, uh, maybe insecurity and trying to play the macho side of things, which wasn't working with me. It kind of seems like he was sizing you up maybe, or? Well, he was doing a poor job of it and however he was doing it. But by the next morning, he was fine. I'm Uh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. 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 And so he takes me and I end up having lunch at Clyde Stoker's house. Uh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, meet his family and everything else. Okay. And then I'm driving home. And I thought, boy, do I have a story for Stella. 
Yeah. The rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how that's how it happened, grandson. And then, All right. then, then from there, uh, we got in, and I said, Stella, you're going to have to meet these people. And Stella had some decisions to make, and I was doing some studying. And I took and the next trip, I took Chad, and it was just Chad and I. Mm-hmm. And I took Chad, and Chad and I went, and we went to priesthood and things like that, and met, and I think we stayed at Marvin's house. And then I took Stella up, and we stayed at Marvin, and known as, what, what was her name? Uh, that Norma. Norma. Yeah, Daryl Spencer's sister. Nona. Nona, yeah. Her name was Nona. And we stayed at her house. Mm-hmm. And Sylvia was the daughter, and Sylvia just thought, Chad was uh, an angel from heaven. And I looked at myself and I thought, well, I'll wait till you meet Brady. Oh. <laughs> yeah, by, by the way, Brady and her went out. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you a funny story on that. But anyway, I'll let Brady <laughs> tell you that one. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so next thing you know, here comes the baptism. I load up the kids and everybody else and we drive up there. And everybody's baptized. And then uh, we come back up and, and Bob Openshaw baptizes me. And uh, Bob Openshaw confirms the priesthood upon me. And then uh, I baptize my children and Stella. And I confer the priesthood upon my boys, and we're all tucked in. You're in. That's in November, the following March. The whole family goes up there. Stella and I go through the endowment house. And, uh, and, we're, and then we're all sealed. And at that time, Owen, uh, Joe Thompson was against it. Okay. But Bill Baird insisted upon it. They took, took me in the Holy and Holies and advised them on how they should continue to build it. Okay. They're Holy wow. and Holies. Uh, and, then, and then we, the following August, uh, we moved down and uh, rented a house from LeBaron. And uh, little did they know, and I didn't realize either, but that was somewhere between an 8 and $9 million baptism they had that day. <laughs> so that answers your mom's question. Uh, well, I, I know there's a lot more details that go into the $8 million baptism, but I'll tell you what, let's pause there. Okay. Let's, let's bang another one out a little bit later. Okay, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 